you know, I, I really wish that when, when you start off the new year and you have your quote-unquote status quo, and even David alluded to that, you know, with our New Year's resolutions that we take place and we want to rededicate ourselves, makes me think of the Israelites on the Day of Atonement. Every year when that Day of Atonement comes, it's almost like, well, we've got a clean slate. And then they get reminded the next year and so on and so forth. And I thought about all the resolutions that I've made over the years. By the way, this year I have none. <laughs> Not because I'm being lazy or anything like that, but just because I never decided to put one together. But I'll usually have a resolution of what I'm wanting to do and passages I want to read or books that I'm wanting to read and, and what have you. And maybe think of our typical status quo New Year's resolution. I'd venture to say that if we were to take an honest poll, most of those resolutions would revolve around our health. I want to lose three pounds from Christmas, five pounds from the year, and the last 20 pounds from before all that. And, and then we go through those kinds of resolutions, and maybe we hit January, February, and somehow that walking machine that we bought turns out to be a closet. Just there for clothes to be hung on. Or you do your diet, and all of a sudden it's like, well, just this weekend I want to splurge a little. And by the time March or April or June rolls around, whatever it is, we just kind of lost sight of that resolution, that dedication that we made. How about like the more important ones? You ever have like one that says, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. This year is the year I'm actually going to finish it. I remember when I had just obeyed the gospel, I went to one of those FC camps in the Ozarks in Missouri and and the counselor asked, and I think I remember saying this to you back in the summer uh, when we were visiting. Raise your hand if you ever read through the whole uh, Bible this past year. And we had about 250 people at camp. Teenagers, camp counselors. Man, if I had done it, I would have raised my hand because, yeah, I was embarrassed. I didn't raise my hand. We had one sister in Christ to raise her hand out of 250 that had gone through the whole Bible that particular year. And you, you stop and think, wow, that's nothing, right? Just, we're just opening up God's Word and reading it. Or we might have more serious and ambitious type things like, this year I really want to preach the gospel to these family members or my neighbors or my co-workers. And, and the year goes, and we have reasons why we're not able to do it. We justify things. Well, I want to ask you, this past year, did you live a status quo life as a Christian? Because in my mind, that's an oxymoron. Status quo Christian, they just, they don't go together. It just doesn't seem right. You see, as Christians, we are special people. And Peter wrote, and we'll look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, toward the end of the, the lesson, but Peter wrote and said, we are a special People, the King James says, peculiar people. We're a special nation. God created us to be a special people. That we have been set apart, we've been sanctified, if you will, to do things that this world thinks are absolutely crazy. It's upside down. That's what they thought of Jesus. That's what they thought of Paul. And they thought of many of the disciples who they persecuted. Because it's far more radical of a lifestyle than they wanted in their own lives. 
You see, as far as we're concerned, if we were to just live status quo lives as far as the world and that standard, brethren, there are too many of us doing it already. We look a whole lot like the world when that happens. We think like the world. We speak like the world. We act like the world. Even though we don't want to be the world. We want to be the Lord's people. And so I'm wanting you to stop and consider this year and the resolve that you have. You know, what are you purposing in your heart? And when, when Jesus used that very word about resolving, when he was saying, you know, let your yes be yes, I whole idea of dedication and resolve. That when I'm set on doing this, I'm seeing it through. And I'm serious about it. That's the kind of resolve I want us to have. But I want us to not just have a status quo, read the Bible through the year. I mean, come on. That's, that's what we're supposed to be doing anyway. We don't have to be dedicated about that. That should be an inherent part of our, law, our walk with the Lord. I want us to have a life that is so far beyond. It's just like what the Scriptures teach that we think, man, like those Bible characters that we lift up in Bible classes and say, look at them, like Daniel, like Joseph, and Moses, and Noah, and many others. That's the way I want us to be. That's the resolve and the challenge I'm wanting for us this year, brethren. Well, before I actually get into the lesson itself, and it's rather short, and Matt is going to speak after uh, this about the guest evangelism, and then Kenny Wells is wanting to speak, and then he's going to close with a prayer. But I want to say that to start off this year, I couldn't be more happy than being here. I waited till we left the building, then I did my little tears last couple Wednesdays ago. Y'all, you're so sweet to us. Thank you so much. What a joy you've been to the Davis Nation. What a blessing you've been to our family. Thank you. Thank you so much. I wanted to share that before we actually got into the meat of what needs to be said. When I think of the status quo life, I think of two main areas that I hope that will not be this year. The first one is just doing easy things. Like, everyone can do this. Like, everyone can, and I speak generally, everyone can open up their Bibles, right? We can all prepare for our Bible class, right? I mean, if we can watch 7,000 hours of football, guys, for the last two weeks, we certainly can be open up God's Word every single day. Ladies, whether it's, I don't know what the names of those shows are, the chef shows where they go at each other and all that. Whatever those shows are, whatever the activities are, we can be opening up the Word, raising our children in it. But anyone can do that. Not everyone does, but anyone can. There are much more important things, and, and I'm not minimizing the importance of reading our, our Bibles and studying God's Word. Very important things. But brethren... It's easy to do what everyone else does. We're told in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13 and 14 that wide is the gate. But who goes in that gate? The status quo do. So many people go through that wide gate. And as far as Christianity is concerned, everyone can simply get up 
And again, I'm not minimizing the effort nor the attitude that we, we need when we come together to worship one another. But in, in the grand scheme of life, for most of us here, it's easy to get up, get dressed, and come and worship our God. For some, it may not be that easy. For some, it's a big deal, a big chore. But for most of us, it's easy. Status quo. But to come here with a heart that is fully prepared to worship our God, to do it without distractions of this world, that's not so easy. You have to endeavor that. You have to have your mind set on worshiping the Lord. It's easy to talk about God when there's other people who believe in God, who love Him, and praise His name. How easy is it to magnify Him when you're in the midst of atheists, in the midst of homosexuals, and cross-dressers, and drug addicts, who will curse God to your face? How easy is that? I want you to look at the 34th Psalm. I love the beginning of this psalm because it gives us a, a mindset, an attitude, if you will, of the way we ought to be when we're talking to people in this world and how we should magnify the name of our God. And I believe that for many of us, it's not that easy to simply talk about God in such a positive and uplifting way. Here's what the psalmist said. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. We're so uncomfortable magnifying the name of the Lord that when we talk to people about various things about God, we'll say, bless you. We'll say, love you. Rather than, I love you. God bless you. Things of that nature. I don't know why that is. If I didn't say this was Psalm 34, verses 1 through 3, and I spoke to you, I had quoted that verse, you may think, well, that's kind of charismatic there. You're going over the top about praising God that way. We don't bless God like that around here. We need to do things that the world, it just, it's foreign to their ears. It starts off with our relationship with God. When you look at Matthew 22 and you read verses 37 to 39, when we love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our might, as some translations would have, rather than mind, rather than it manifests itself. It comes across so that when you talk to Mitch Davis or you talk to Jonathan Gilbert, you talk to Phil Barnes, you talk to any brother or sister Christ in this building, when you talk to anyone, that person loves God. That's the first thing you'll get from them. That person loves God. Now, let me be the first to say, you're going to turn off a whole lot of people that way. That's not Dale Carnegie's way of doing things. But it's God. You want to win people who want to come to the Lord, whose hearts are humble and distraught and in need of God? You magnify the name of our God, and those are the people you will attract. The rest of the world, that status quo, they'll have nothing to do with you. 
Now, I'm not saying that you're trying to go out of the way and, and make enemies that way, but that's the natural thing of what takes place. When you love the Lord, you magnify His name in the way you live and the way you speak. Brethren, that's not status quo. That's called Christianity. Those are the things that we are studying about when we read in Philippians chapter 2. Those are hard things. Or how about in addition to just going by that wide gate, how about being lukewarm? Lukewarm falls within that category of that wide gate. In Revelation chapter 3, when you read verses 14 through 16, look at the lukewarm. This person really shouldn't be called a Christian, but Jesus is speaking to the churches. He's talking to Christians. And here's a church at Laodicea, and he says to them in verse, um, verse 15, he says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. There are many brethren that are lukewarm. They'll come to church, lip service the songs, in one ear, out the other ear with the sermon. Not pay attention to the prayer, but when, when it's over and you wake up, amen. Live your lives just no different than the world. Lukewarm. Anybody can do that. That's not the calling that God has given to us. He gave us a much, much more special calling than that. He gave us things that are truly and genuine set apart from this world. When you look at Luke chapter 6, look at verses 32 through 34. Look at what the lukewarm person does, and then verse 35, what Christ wants us to do. And you tell me if this is not something that we all need to work on at one point in our lives, if not right now. In Luke chapter 6, look at verse 32 following. Jesus said, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. That's status quo. That's what the world does. And Jesus is saying to His disciples, you're not of the world. You're like these lights that have been set apart from that darkness. You're set on that hilltop. You're supposed to show the world the truth. You show the world something very different. Take that very mindset. Go on to Luke 14. We'll come back to verse 35 here. But go to Luke 14 now and look at verses 12 to 14. I mean, this is where I know I've, I've failed as a practice in my life. But I tell you, this is where going beyond the status quo hits, hits right between the eyes. Jesus said this to those listening as he spoke various parables to them. He says, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back 
and you'd be repaid. How many of us, this is what we do? Right? Have the Roberts over our house. A few months later, Davidson's go to the Roberts house. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> a few months later. He says, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. In other words, you invite the ones that no one wants to invite. Now, what do you say to Jesus about that? I love hearing the kids do their sermon notes, by the way. <laughs> Mark it down. Brethren, stop and think about this. You invite people who are the uninvitable. The ones that, you know, they're just awkward. They're different. They're not, they're not the ones that I'll just enjoy being around, you know, because we don't have that much in common, you know. I've got it together. They need to get it together. Until they get it together, you know, we'll, we'll talk then. These are the unwanted. These are the untouchables. These are the people like with leprosy. They're defiled as far as the Jew is concerned. None of the Gentiles want them. But he says, you do that. Brethren, the status quo is easy. And the lukewarm is, is ready and willing to do what is status quo. What is not status quo, what is Christian, and what represents Christianity, is the fact that we are, as a special people, going beyond what the world does. When I say beyond, let me just rephrase that. Go in a whole different direction. The whole concept of repentance and conversion. You see, when you read Luke chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, instead of hating your enemies, you love them. Instead of doing bad things to them, do good to them. He says, when you lend, hope for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. No different than when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse, somewhere, verse 43 through 45, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Bless them. How do you bless someone who's your enemy? God, please help my enemy to see the truth. Help me to be merciful to them the way you've been merciful to me. The very things that David prayed for in, our prayer, in the prayer this morning. How God, when we deserve, justly speaking, God's wrath, how he gave us his mercy, that's special. That's way beyond status quo. Everyone says, you know, an eye for an eye. Listen, this guy did this. Give him the maximum penalty. It's just. And it's justice being meted out properly. Listen, there's a time and place for that. But I tell you, if I'm going to look at, at those in the world that I want to reach the gospel to, I'm going to have to be the way God is toward me. That's way beyond status quo. That's so opposite in the way the world thinks. But brethren, that's what God wants. I want to finish off with these two passages. Ephesians 2, verse 8, through verse 10. That we have been saved by grace, through faith. It's not a gift. 
or something that we earn, excuse me, but it is a gift from God. He created us as a special creation. I'm definitely paraphrasing verse 10, but get this. He's creating us as His creation, created in Christ for good works. That word, or that phrase for good works, is not status quo. The life of being a Christian is not status quo. It's set apart for a very special reason. To bring lost souls into the kingdom of our God. There's no greater purpose in life as far as service to our men, fellow men. And that is the result. When everyone who hears the gospel and responds to it, and that you build them up in the most holy faith by the way you live with one another, according to the will of God, you're heavenward bound. That's the result. You see, living a life beyond status quo is like living for a life beyond status quo. You're living for heaven. You're living for that reward that is eternal. And that's what He wants us to do. And I told you at the beginning, we're going to look at First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I want you to see what that text is saying here. And we'll close with that. Peter said here in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. He says, Coming to Him, that is to Jesus Christ, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's not status quo, brethren. Spiritual sacrifices. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. By virtue of living the way Jesus Christ lived, by being a part of that spiritual building, behaving the way Christ did, you will become an offense to people in this world. But again, those who are seeking truth, those who are seeking God and seeking having fellowship with Him, you will be precious. He says in verse 9, to finish off, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people. So now when you look back, if any of you have done your New Year's resolutions, what did you write? And if you did them, do they seem a little bit on the, well, not as significant as maybe I can go back and rewrite some of those down? I sure hope so. If you've had those status quo type resolutions, I've had them. And I'll probably get some more of those status quo resolutions like lose five pounds and all that kind of stuff again. But there's so much more for our lives. So much more important fulfilling lives when we live for the Lord. And when we live for the Lord, I'm talking about not just coming to church three times a week. That's status quo. It's when you come 
you come to give glory to God from the depth of your heart, you'll stand out. Because you just you sense that by others when they're giving their hearts to God. Praising Him, praying to Him, making our supplications known to Him, every aspect of our life. And let me finish with this final thought. I don't know how, personally, I don't understand how anyone on any given sermon, on any given Bible study, on any given one-on-one situation could ever walk away not pricking their heart if the Word of God is being presented to them with great love and sincerity. It should build you up. It should cause you to repent. It should cause you to be Lift up in such a manner that when we sing praises to God or when we are singing the song of invitation and we sing to the soul who is needing God and we say to them, why do you wait? That we really mean those words. I hope that's the 